chapter six of explanation of catholic morals this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. explanation of catholic morals by john h stapleton sin if the almighty had never imposed upon his creatures a law there would be no sin we would be free to do as we please but the presence of god's law restrains our liberty and it is by using or rather abusing our freedom that we come to violate the law it is for this reason that law is said to be opposed to liberty liberty is a word of many meanings men swear by it and men juggle with it it is the slogan in both camps of the world's warfare it is in itself man's noblest inheritance and yet there is no name under the sun in which more crimes are committed by liberty as opposed to god's law we do not understand the power to do evil as well as good that liberty is the glory of man but the exercise of it in the alternative of evil is damnable and debases the creature in the same proportions as the free choice of good ennobles him that liberty the law leaves untouched we never lose it or rather we may lose it partially when under physical restraint but totally only when deprived of our senses the law respects it it respects it in the highest degree when in an individual it curtails or destroys it for the protection of society liberty may also be the equal right to do good and evil there are those who arrogate to themselves such liberty no man ever possessed it the law annihilated it for ever and although we have used the word in this sense the fact is that no man has the right to do evil or ever will have so long as god is god these people talk much and loudly about freedom the magic word assert with much pomp and verbosity the rights of man proclaim his independence and are given to much like inane vaunting and braggadocio we may be free in many things but where god is concerned and he commands we are free only to obey his will is supreme and when it is asserted we purely and simply have no choice to do as we list this privilege is called license not liberty we have certain rights as men but we have duties too as creatures and it ill becomes us to prate about our rights or the duties of others towards us while we ignore the obligations we are under towards others and our first duty which is to god our boasted independence consists precisely in this that we owe to him not only the origin of our nature but even the very breath we draw and which preserves our being for in him we live move and have our being the first prerogative of god towards us is authority or the right to command our first obligation as well as our highest honor as creatures is to obey and until we understand this sort of liberty we live in a world of enigmas and know not the first letter of the alphabet of creation we are not free to sin liberty rightly understood true liberty of the children of god is the right of choice within the law the right to embrace what is good and to avoid what is evil this policy no man can take from us and far from infringing upon this right the law aids it to a fuller development 
a person reading by candlelight would not complain that his vision was obscured if an arc-light were substituted for the candle a traveller who takes notice of the sign-posts along his way telling the direction and distance and pointing out pitfalls and dangers would not consider his rights contested or his liberty restricted by these things and the law as it becomes more clearly known to us defines exactly the sphere of our action and shows plainly where dangers lurk and evil is to be apprehended and we gladly avail ourselves of this information that enables us to walk straight and secure the law becomes a godsend to our liberty and obedience to it our salvation he who goes beyond the bounds of true moral liberty breaks the law of god and sins he thereby refuses to god the obedience which to him is due disobedience involves contempt of authority and of him who commands sin is therefore an offence against god and that offence is proportionate to the dignity of the person offended the sinner by his act of disobedience not only sets at naught the will of his maker but by the same act in a greater or lesser degree turns away from his appointed destiny and in this he is imitated by nothing else in creation every other created thing obeys the heavens follow their designated course beasts and birds and fish are intent upon one thing and that is to work out the divine plan man alone sows disorder and confusion therein he shows irreverence for god's presence and contempt for his friendship ingratitude for his goodness and supreme indifference for the penalty that follows his sin as surely as the shadow follows its object so that taken all in all such a creature might fitly be said to be one part criminal and two parts fool folly and sin are synonymous in holy writ the fool saith in his heart there is no god sin is essentially an offence but there is a difference of degree between a slight and an outrage there are direct offences against god such as the refusal to believe in him or unbelief to hope in him or despair etc indirect offences attain him through the neighbour or ourselves all duties to neighbour or self are not equally imperious and to fail in them all is not equally evil then again not all sins are committed through pure malice that is with complete knowledge and full consent ignorance and weakness are factors to be considered in our guilt and detract from the malice of our sins hence two kinds of sin mortal and venial these mark the extremes of offence one severs all relation of friendship the other chills the existing friendship by one we incur god's infinite hatred by the other his displeasure the penalty for one is eternal the other can be atoned for by suffering it is not possible in all cases to tell exactly what is mortal and what venial in our offences there is a clean-cut distinction between the two but the line of demarcation is not always discernible there are however certain characteristics which enable us in the majority of cases to distinguish one from the other first the matter must be grievous in fact or in intention that is 
there must be a serious breach of the law of god or the law of conscience then we must know perfectly well what we are doing and give our full consent it must therefore be a grave offence in all the plenitude of its malice of course to act without sufficient reason with a well-founded doubt as to the malice of the act would be to violate the law of conscience and would constitute a mortal sin there is no moral sin without the fulfilment of these conditions all other offences are venial we cannot of course read the soul of anybody if however we suppose knowledge and consent there are certain sins that are always mortal such are blasphemy luxury heresy etc when these sins are deliberate they are always mortal offences others are usually mortal such as a sin against justice to steal is a sin against justice it is frequently a mortal sin but it may happen that the amount taken be slight in which case the offence ceases to be mortal likewise certain sins are usually venial but in certain circumstances a venial sin may take on such malice as to be constituted mortal our conscience under god is the best judge of our malevolence and consequently of our guilt End of chapter six